What is humankind's biggest scientific mystery to date? Humankind. What sets us apart from our neighboring species is an organ that we're only beginning to understand, the human brain. While modern scientific understanding of this complex network of neurons between our ears really only began a few decades ago, we've already learned a lot about the body's control center, and we've been given a lot to think about. Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. Our first story is about groundbreaking research in brain-computer interfaces that's offering new hope for those who have lost their sense of touch. By decoding neural signals from the brain, researchers were able to create movement and sensory perception in paralyzed limbs. Innovations like these in sense-restoring technology could be life-changing for spinal cord patients and make a devastating loss of sensation reversible. Our second story tackles a different kind of feeling, our emotions. By analyzing various neural regions in marmosets, scientists have untangled the root of anxiety in the human brain, unlocking the door to faster and more effective anxiety treatment in the future. This is The Abstract, a look at the latest scientific discoveries and technology innovations from the reporters at Inverse. In each episode, we explore a single theme through two different stories. Up now... Scientists decode the brain to restore a life-changing sense of touch, bringing to life a devastating loss of sensation. If all the work we're doing can help anybody get more independence back, it's huge. All the research we're doing at the Talent Ohio State does give me a lot more hope because I can tell there's going to be improvements in science and technology that will be able to make my life easier. That was Ian Burkhardt, a spinal cord injury patient who suffered the loss of feeling and movement in his right arm following a car accident 10 years prior. But a computer chip restored motion to his paralyzed limbs and even restored a sense of touch as well. By implanting this chip into his brain and relaying neural signals to a computer, a team of researchers at the Patel Memorial Institute in Columbus, Ohio, found a way to amplify small, imperceptible touch sensations in him. A study published April 2020 in the journal Cell revealed how researchers tested these ideas in practice. By first collecting neural signals from an implant on the surface of Ian's brain, the computer used algorithms to break down this stream of data into movement and sensory information. The computer then relayed the processed data back to Ian through stimulation to forearm electrodes for movement and vibrations on a haptic armband for feelings of touch. Using this system, they managed to restore his sense of touch. And for the researchers, this is only the beginning. Battelle senior research scientist Gaurav Sharma has more from the Battelle Memorial Institute. We are developing technologies that can help us tap into the peripheral nerve of the body to modulate body's response and then use it to diagnose and treat condition. The other area that we are looking into is sensory motor rehab, uh, more specifically stroke rehab, where we are developing technologies to help paralyzed stroke patients overcome their paralyzed muscles. So how far can we advance with this technology, and how soon could these brain-computer interfaces be used outside of a lab and inside the home? Joining us with more is Inverse's Sarah Wells. Hey, Sarah, welcome back. Hi, good to be here. So this seems like a huge leap ahead. I mean, there were a lot of sensory and motor innovations like these. This is next level. This really seems like one of those 
breakthroughs that you you don't hear about every day. Yeah. So what's a little bit different here is that instead of maybe using like uh, a robotic limb or stimulating the brain in order to make these signals, um, the researchers are kind of using signals already created in the brain and then returning those as motion and touch sensations back to the actual patient's arm. Can you further explain the actual technology of how this process works, you know, actually using the brain with the computer. Can you help us understand how this this system plays out? So I guess kind of how you would imagine any device being plugged into a computer here, um, the human is kind of the device that is being connected. So the patient in this study um, had a brain implant kind of on the outer layer of their brain. Um, And this implant was receiving these neural like motion and touch signals um, and then translating them to a computer that was, you know, sitting on a table nearby. Um, And then what the computer did is it had these smart algorithms that kind of detangled the motion from the touch sensations. And then for these touch sensations, um, because this was a patient who was paralyzed, researchers had previously thought that these sensations were kind of lost. But what was also unique about this study is that they realized they still existed, just they were much, much fainter. So what this algorithm also did is it was able to boost those signals so that they were more easily perceived by the patient. So with these boosted signals, as well as the movement signals, they were then relayed back to the patient um, through either electrodes on their arm, which kind of stimulated movement, or through like a vibration band up on their arm that would give a sense of touch. Right. You know, like you were saying, at one point, we thought these spinal cord injury patients no longer were generating sensory signals. And it turns out they were just at lower levels. That in and of itself seems like a breakthrough as well. Well, are researchers hopeful that with this knowledge, they can break even more ground? You know, where do they go from here? Yeah. So I think what this really enables is them to kind of have, I guess, a more fleshed out kind of environment for these patients. So instead of just stimulating motion alone, they can now really more realistically stimulate touch, which gives kind of more autonomy back to the patient because they have a better sense of how they're actually interacting with the world around them. So needless to say, this would be a life-changing benefit for people who need it. Realistically, how soon is this something attainable? What are the goals for the future and how soon can we see those goals, you know, meeting reality? So definitely, yeah. So this study right now was done um, in the lab, but the researchers, they definitely want to begin moving this to become more mobile so that it could be attached to, say, a patient's wheelchair and also so it could be used in the home, um, which is where, you know, it's most necessary. And kind of getting this started already, the researchers from this study have been developing a different kind of, it's it looks like a sleeve, um, which would kind of include those electrodes from the study, as well as kind of that vibration band all in one, which would be a lot easier for the patient to kind of wear and use on their own. And then also going forward, they're kind of looking at improving that algorithm and making it even you know more fine-tuned. And then also looking at some security and privacy issues with such important data from the brain to the computer. Listeners can head to inverse.com. There's this video that helps break it all down. It's really um, something you should see as well. In the meantime, Sarah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. The latest research untangles anxiety's roots in the brain as well and points to new potential for improved treatment in the future. Up now, using the brain to unravel a different kind of feeling, our emotions. 
stressful situations. And the anxiety from COVID virus has brought out a sense of anxiety. Many of you at home may be feeling a little stressed and anxious as a result of stress and anxiety caused by the coronavirus. It's getting worse because now we even have anxieties around. A sense that this could go on for a while. Anxiety is not wrong. And this is the time when anxiety makes a lot of sense. In the modern world, we're all going to have a little bit. It turns out it's not you. All the while, it was your brain's emotion processing center causing or calming those spikes of anxiety. And while COVID-19 has jolted an already anxious state of mind for many, like any processing center, some operations run smoother than others. Like these centers with better management in place, perhaps our anxiety would be in for a smoother transaction. However, in the past, scientists didn't exactly know how the management of serotonin systems in certain brain regions influenced how each one of us experiences anxiety. To get to the bottom of it all, researchers examined marmosets, small monkeys that also show similar trait anxiety-like behavior to humans sensitive to medication that treats anxiety, such as selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, more commonly known as SSRIs. In this anxious monkey experiment, they ultimately claimed to narrow in on anxiety's relationship to the brain. Do these findings then suggest that targeting the right area of the brain might speed up better treatment for anxiety overall? There's a lot to break down and get to. So joining us now is Inverse's Ali Patillo. Hey, Ali, welcome back. Thanks, Tanya. So one of your sources called this a natural disposition. Do we know why some people may have this high amygdala serotonin transporter expression? There it is. Um, Is there a nature-nurture balance? Is it purely genetic? How exactly does this um, break down? I mean, anxiety and the tendency or propensity to be anxious is shaped by, you know, a very complicated range of factors, both environmental and genetic. You know, anxiety can be contributed to by underlying health issues, from stress histories, from trauma. All of these things can make somebody be more likely to be kind of highly reactive to a certain event while another person is able to remain super calm or doesn't have that kind of anxious response. And so in this study, they were really looking at whether there were functional brain differences and structure differences that were driving this tendency to be highly anxious or have quote unquote trait anxiety is what they call it in the study. And that's what they say they found. They say they found a clear neurological basis for this vulnerability. And it's important to note this experiment was done in marmosets, in small monkeys that are kind of stand-ins for humans. We don't know how serotonin signaling influences anxiety in humans if it operates the same way. But in theory, the idea is that if you can target these kind of brain structure differences and function differences, that could open up a whole new way to treat anxiety. Because it all has to do with the brain's emotions processing center, right? Like serotonin is obviously well known as the you know, happy chemical that regulates our mood. That was sort of the core of this whole experiment. What were researchers attempting to find out in examining the serotonin system of marmosets the way they did in this experiment? Yeah, so the serotonin signaling system is quite complicated, but it can be kind of boiled down to the idea that when serotonin transporters are high, serotonin levels, which are kind of the happy chemical, are low. And it's interesting because 
common anxiety and depression medications, so SSRIs, actually target these transporters. And so the idea is that you can manipulate this serotonin system to then modulate anxiety. And the researchers were trying to create a more effective and potentially faster medication because for a lot of people, these SSRIs don't work. Yeah, or they take, you know, several weeks uh, to even find out whether or not they work. So, I mean, in looking to just make this whole process effective, how does one attempt to test monkeys' anxiety, try to calm them down, and then figure out what part of the brain actually does this? That's a, a quite a tall order. Yeah, so it's interesting because the experiment itself might be familiar to neuroscientists, but I found it so interesting and even a little bit strange. I I mean, they they basically rounded up a group of these marmosets, which are, um, as you kind of touched on, small monkeys that have brains that have large similarities to human brains. Um, And they also exhibit similar anxiety-like behavior to humans um, that can be manipulated by anxiety medications like SSRIs. So they rounded up these kind of human stand-ins, these little monkeys. Um, They put each monkey alone in a cage and exposed the animals to uh, an unfamiliar human wearing a mask. Um, So this was kind of a stressful condition. Um, Uh The human stood about a foot and a half away from the cage and maintained eye contact with the monkey for two minutes. And through this entire experiment, the researchers tracked how the monkeys reacted, both before the human came in, during that kind of exchange, and after the human intruder left. They saw how the monkey moved around the cage, whether they were kind of moved back and were a little bit avoidant, or whether they moved closer to the human, whether they made noises, whether they kind of bobbed their heads or or um, bodies around, and all these kind of cues can indicate um, anxiety-like behavior by the monkeys or highly reactive behavior. Then after this experiment, um, the researchers euthanized the animals, humanely, of course, and then they analyzed different brain regions. And this process revealed that one brain region in particular was really critical. So the amygdala, which is the emotion processing center, And they Mm -hmm. found that monkeys who were most reactive, who were most anxious, they had high levels of gene expressions for serotonin transporters in this brain region. Um, So this really taken together, it suggests that serotonin signaling in the amygdala um, may be driving this anxious behavior. So, you know, this is... These are not human beings, and this was a limited study, but is the hope that scientists can now better and more effectively create, you know, anti-anxiety medications by targeting these brain regions? Are we anywhere closer to that goal? We're definitely closer. We're still very far away. But the team actually tested this kind of idea directly. Um, So they took a different group of highly anxious or highly reactive little monkeys, and they tested what happened when they directly infused SSRI medication into those monkeys' amygdala. So into that really particularly important region of their brain using a tiny little tube. Then they repeated the human intruder test, put those monkeys back in a cage, had a human walk in, go through the same process, and they figured out how the monkeys were reacting. And after they had a direct infusion to that targeted area, the monkeys experienced immediate symptom relief, reduced levels of anxiety-related behaviors, 
They were calmer, basically. And of course, right now, you can't directly infuse SSRI medication um, into a human amygdala. We just don't have the capability to do that. But the idea is that if the same findings are seen in humans through multiple, multiple experiments, scientists may eventually be able to figure out a way to target the amygdala more directly and like we kind of touched on before, create a faster acting anxiety medication that could really change the lives of a lot of people dealing with this. If you head to inverse.com, there are some visuals that also help bring everything together in terms of what's going on in the brain. You can read more about the research as well. Ali Patillo will be covering the latest. In the meantime, Ali, thanks. Thanks so much, Tanya. Head to inverse.com to read more about the latest advancements in decoding the brain. You can click on the link in the show notes for all stories we talked about today. If you agree that science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. You can find old episodes and more original reporting on science, innovation, culture, and entertainment at inverse.com. Look for the Abstract Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening. <laughs>